what's good, Internet? It's the Harvest of Colin Atrophy, and I'm very happy to welcome you to episode number 43 of Life Harvester Radio. The guest this month is my friend, your friend, Jolie M.A. You know her from uh, being friends and because you're punk and every punk knows Jolie, or you know her from her band Ribbon Stage, who just put out a perfect 7-inch, um, like, I don't know, three months ago or something in July on uh, Perennial Death on K Records. Uh, this is what I had to say about about this record in an old issue of Life Harvester. Uh, this record sounds like driving around in the summer when school just let out listening to a mixtape that a cool older girl gave you. Maybe she's your friend's older sister. Maybe she's someone you trade zines with. Maybe she's your coworker at the grocery store. Doesn't matter. You can't tell if you want to be her best friend, her girlfriend, or become her, but none of it seems possible anyway. Classic Rebel Girl situation. Um, this is music for cool older girls. So you want to be a cool older girl to someone else? You got to listen to this music. You know what I mean? Or it's music to listen to to feel like you know a cool older girl, which is a great feeling. Um, cool older girls are one of the only reasons that I'm, uh, I lived through adolescence. And uh, I'm sure that's true for a lot of listeners. So got to give it up to Jolie for um, contributing to the canon of cool older girl music. And um, with that said, let's just get to the interview. It's fucking great. Jolie is so charming, and uh, we talk about a bunch of stuff, and here you go. Literally, ever since I we texted and you agreed to be on the um, radio show, like maybe the next day I woke up and was like craving a choppy chop in this way that I uh, have not craved in, I would say, years. Wow. I did that to you. I know. Through the sending me Miami through the fucking through the airwaves. Through my area code, honestly, maybe you looked, you took a glance at my number and you saw the ripe 305 area code and you were like, oh, yeah, I need a choppy chop right now. No way. I never see your number. It just says Juicy Jolie every time you call. Well, yeah, take a peek next time. I always say that um, my number will have to get pried out of my cold, dead hands because I'm obsessed with having a 305 number. It's a good one to have. Yeah. Did you I ever smoke those cigarettes? The 305s? No, because yeah. I was like kind of straight edge adjacent in high school, i.e. kind of a loser. But um, no, I know I love the imagery of the box. I love all like Miami logos. Yeah, they're disgusting. But I love, yeah, I love the box as well. Yeah. So you, Jolie. Hi. Yes, that's me. Are my guest. And we're going to talk about your life. <laughs> and punk um <laughs> i'm in a really weird mood today too so we're gonna this is gonna be a a, a doozy Hell yeah. um so you grew up in miami yeah miami proper what part of miami well so i was born on miami beach and that's where like my mom is from and like some two of my grandparents lived there and then my dad lived in South Miami and my other grandparents lived in Coconut Grove. So I just kind of say 
yeah, just Miami proper. Sure. Dade County. Maiden Dade. Maiden Dade. Yeah. Where did you live as a kid? Kind of all over the place because, yeah, I lived with my grandparents at some points. And then my parents got divorced when I was eight. And my mom moved to, like, four different neighborhoods and then got remarried. And we upgraded to then, like, some swanky neighborhoods. Um, And then my dad, he lives – he's been in the same place since I was, like, two – but it's it's called unincorporated Dade because it's in between like a few different neighborhoods. It's in between South Miami, Coral Gables, and West Miami. In uh-huh. fact, it's kind of close to Kendall, which perhaps listeners will recognize as kind of like the butt of a lot of Miami jokes. Uh, but yeah, my area code is 305 and it's all Dade County so that's yeah that's what matters to me yeah 305 till you die literally because yeah both my parents are from there and like went to high school there and uh my grandparents all made their way there from half of the and the other half from like uh the Jewish east coast to Florida pipeline in like post World War II zone. So I have a lot of regional pride. I'm like obsessed with being from Miami, but at the same time, I will never, ever live there ever again. Whoa. Yeah. Because it's going to be underwater? Yeah, that's like an easy excuse, definitely. But I just, the whole time I was there, I really wanted to leave, like in high school and whatnot. Um, but I visit very often and I have a lot of love for the place. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about like, what were you like when you were a kid, you know? Cause we, like, so people know you that re- that are listening to this podcast, probably f- either cause we're friends, all of us, the listener and you and I, or if they're a stranger, perhaps from the perfect seven inch you put out earlier this year, uh, ribbon stage. My favorite shrine is the name of the record. Yeah, seems unlikely that they would, but it is, yeah, it's possible. Um, my fans. Yeah, your fans. <laughs> I eat literally just my friends. Yeah, I mean, the, Reed is the only person that listens to my podcast, so it's like, we could just loop him in on this call and then not even Yeah, we're it. kind of, we're like frenemies, though, so <laughs> you could say that. Well, it's funny, actually, because David, my bandmate in Ruben Stage... We were being interviewed last week by Rolling Stone and the guy, I forget his name, but he asked, he asked like how David and I knew each other and David completely misremembered, said it was like, yeah, just totally wrong. But he was like, oh yeah, he saw my other band play at Silent Barn and he remembers like how I was, he was like talking about how I was interacting with the audience and like making them laugh and stuff like my old band boys online playing. He's like, yeah, you know, I didn't know if they were like your friends or anything. And I was like, David, that was like 99% my friends. Like, that's why they were laughing. They knew me. It wasn't like, I didn't have like a magic sort of spell over the audience. Um, But yeah, so I guess to answer the first question, uh, as a kid, I 
was not very cool. Um, definitely a late bloomer to a lot of stuff, namely like puberty. <laughs> uh, early bloomer to being goth. Uh, <laughs> that was, you know, subculturally speaking, I was born in 1992. So when I was 10 and I heard Green Day for the first time, it was very formative. I even, I know the person who I went to like weird hippie elementary school with who like played me my first ever Green Day song. And that shifted my fashion and sense of self and relationship with my parents and orientation towards the world. Pretty much everything from like that moment. So you're saying post 9-11 Green Day was a goth band? No, but it made <laughs> me it made me mall goth. Like, oh, okay, okay. Like you li- I listened to it and then me and my mom went to Target and I bought a green like the first CD I ever bought was Green Day. And I Whoa. just remember like listening to it on my uh like disc man in the back seat of my mom's car just being like wow, this changes everything. Which one? It's embarrassing. Like it's it's not even dookie. It's international super hits. I'm dating myself. Well, yeah. I mean, you already said you were born in because I, I heard my Cats first out of the bag. Green Day record when I was like 11, probably, but it, it was dookie. But right. that was 10 years before you were 10. Yeah, um, just after, and I'm a lowly millennial, and I grew up in the worst sort of like cultural milieu of any generation. I think. I have a lot of thoughts on the matter, and they do all go back to 9-11. Whoa. Yeah. Lay it on me. Well, okay. Being in Florida, it's a swamp, and it's, I mean, yeah, it just, like, sucks culturally, but so there's really no kind of, like, alternatives to the mainstream. There's kind of, like, mainstream American culture, and then there's mainstream south american culture but so within the the american mainstream i feel like post 9 11 like the culture became much like shittier you know about like unifying the country and everyone even like normal people became like swept under the iraq wars kind of like mesmerizing you know magic and had little american flags out of their cars shit like that and so all of the you know like mass culture that was being produced like on the radio was just like trash and that was the first time kind of I think that like there really was no cool alter you know like the 90s had like pseudo colorblindness and like feminism and shit where it was like there was cool ass music on the radio but after 9-11 it was like no you are only allowed to love america you have to listen to kelly clarkson like there's nothing there's just like a huge void and we're gonna ruin everybody's life with like surveillance that's kind of my that's my take my hot sure. take that may, i think i feel like the early 2000s are my favorite era of dipset but other than that like i yeah i don't think that there's like a and i don't even know how main street like if the if Cameron, I, I imagine people were listening to Cameron in Miami, but I don't fucking know. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's good shit. I'm thinking more like alternative rock right. sucking ass and being, you know, like the band what Kate. Did, yeah, it was like My Chemical Romance. Was that yeah. that era? Yeah, I mean, you would have been lucky to hear My Chem on the radio. Honestly, like, it was very, very barren. And so I would listen to, me and my mom would listen to WVUM, the college radio station there. But it was too far out. It would just be like weird, like bleep bloop, and then be a funding drive. And so, yeah, it was just before I heard Green Day, I was very, I was lost. Yeah. And so then you heard Green Day, you went to Target, you bought a Green Day CD I've never heard of. And yeah, it's like the best of. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I love a best of. Um, it really it had it had the good tr- songs on it so yeah they did a good job and i remember looking at pictures of billy joe and like the centerfold or whatever and just being like oh my god he is so cute have you always loved a short king no i think that it's evolved over time i now appreciate all kings but <laughs> yeah definitely I had a lot of crushes who, like me, uh, had not reached puberty yet. So, <laughs> yeah, my answer is yes. I have always loved it. Cool. Um, like, what else? Do you, so, what do you get into? Like, what's the what's the the precipitous uh, decline in your? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, what is your like your rock and roll fall or whatever? You know, like you get into Green Day, and then what, where does it go? You hate preps, you're mean yeah. to your parents, you wear all black, all of your clothes are from Goodwill, so you don't really have, like, the parachute pants, um, but... Was that what you wanted, like, the, like, UFO kind of big, big giant pants? I just wanted anything that, you know, spoke my truth and let, you know, my fellow 11-year-old brethren know, like, I wasn't a poser. I wasn't fucking around. I bought my most, there's so many, like, mortifying things about this time. But one of them is, like, buying safety pins from, you know, like, Navarro or CVS or whatever, Um And, like, putting the safety pins in my, like, black tank top just, like, on the front. And then having, you know, like, my friends' moms and stuff, like, asking, like, like, what's that for? And me just, like, being embarrassed and saying, like, you know, like, they're useful just in case, like, if I need them. (laughs) But it would be, like, five safety pins just, like, randomly on my shirt. Yeah. This is a beautiful thing, I think. Yeah, it was very DIY, very proto-DIY. And then also, like, occasionally getting to, like, buy a shirt from Hot Topic. Like, me and my mom would go to the mall. And if there were discount t-shirts, I would just kind of get it no matter what. So I had this, like, extra, extra large, like, black, basically, like, a tall tee. I was so – I looked like a fetus. I was very (laughs) tiny. And the shirt said – I live in my own little world, but it's okay. They know me here. And that was like my prize possession. You know, like my <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I wish I didn't remember it as well as I do, but unfortunately it's just like seared into my mind. I'm distrustful of anyone who didn't didn't look stupid look when really- they were eleven. Yeah, because like yeah, you're trying stuff really. out. 
Yeah, I was definitely, I was getting freaky and experimental. I remember the first, they called me baby goth at Hot Topic. And the first time that I went there, I bought obviously like one of the little pins, like I loved the pins. And I bought one that had a freaky like face on it that said disturbed, thinking that it just meant like the adjective or whatever (laughs) before I even knew that it was a band so I'm fully like I was a poser 100% um just that was how I was expressing my dislike of society and I just didn't really know how to do it yet so you know hiding in a tree during lunch and like singing Lincoln Park to myself, like that was part of it. Um, writing normal people frighten me on my notebooks, that was part of it. Uh-huh. Um, not, uh, yeah, just I feel like, you know, 10 years apart, you can kind of the picture paints itself, except yeah. that it's in Miami. So, like, there's a weird mix of like, I'm wearing brazilian jeans from dolphin mall with uh you know like sharpied no effects shirt with safety pins in it like with converse that i wrote let's say like jimmy world lyrics on like with hoop earrings that's kind of that's the scene report right that makes sense yeah um it it makes a lot of sense yeah so what do you like Okay, so you're 11, and you're a little weirdo when you're 11, obviously. Um, yeah. You were a little weirdo when you were 11. When do you start having, like... Um, Friends? Like, <laughs> Sure, yeah. <laughs> Friends. I was going to say a concrete subcultural identity, which is a much stupider question, but I mean... No, no, no. Well, no. Uh, Friends is a way to say that. <laughs> well, I wish that the two coincided, but they didn't really... I was just... I was obsessed with music, and I just really like immediately clung on to it for like a signifier of identity and a way to connect with other people and you know most of the time disconnect um so I was just I feel like my whole youth adolescence was like spent trying to find friends who liked the same stuff that I did Mm -hmm. and you know, desperately trying to make them through whatever avenue I could, i.e. on the internet. And I listened to, you know, a lot of, like, rock music. I was, you know, anti-prep, anti-poser. And I feel like I did kind of, like, a, a regular trajectory that people of our ilk do, where it's, like, you love some 41 and nirvana like i was really into you know jane's addiction and you'd like heavy music in my mind you know blink 182 or whatever and then instead of going their traditional route which is like you know you kind of mature and you get in maybe to more like heavy shit like rancid and op ivy and stuff instead of doing that on my way towards then like in high school getting into, you know, like minor threat in the adolescence, I had like a weird um, indie rock phase in between. So I was just obsessed with like Elliot Smith and pavement 
and like cat power and then and also like a ton of horrific shit that i could easily recite but i'll i'll skip give me at least one like what's i don't know what he horrific even is oh my god like where to even begin it's a pandora's box that um i really frequently revisit because like the state of indie music in 2004 was just like so full of gems and so so worth remembering actually it's funny my my teenage roommate texted me a compilation yesterday with some good stuff and one of the bands on it was mates of state and that really triggered me oh whoa i've never heard that band (laughs) you're so lucky but like in 2004 i had a neck bandana on and i was like super earnestly into folk punk like right yeah i missed like it just sucked it just sucked that that part of that era just sucked well there was a lot of like electro clash going on in the indie scene there was a lot of um mates of state were like kind of indie electro like husband and wife duo corny as fuck but i spent a lot of time you know it's just like i'm the oldest sibling and i um like spent a lot of time on the internet looking for music and community because I didn't have anyone to like um, make me a cool CD or whatever. So there was just, it was just this like trawl net of, you know, looking for anything catchy, like anything, you know, that spoke to me emotionally. And it's just, you know, it's like my, on Facebook, my favorite bands, it would say like, Rilo Kylie, Taking Back Sunday, and um, God, what's a really bad one from that era? Um, like the format. Sure. I don't, yeah. This is like, these are all things that I definitely know the names of, but don't, I couldn't tell you what they, any of them sound like. Cause that, yeah. cause your, your like teen years is my 20s where I'm like, I am unplugged from mainstream society, man. Cause I'm yeah. like a punk and like, yeah, I just never, uh, yeah, I have no idea. Um, what her, what is horrendous about that stuff, but I'm, I'm fascinated by anything horrendous. Well, I was really big. I was really big on this indie band. Um, someone still loves you. Boris Yeltsin's forum. And I made internet friends there. <laughs> no, it's dark. They're on polyvinyl. Okay. Well, if that contextualizes it, it's like sure. tweet, really, yeah, it's it's early two thousand. So, are you in high school yet? In this timeline, yeah. okay, yeah, I'm in, I'm in high school. Um, I have friends in ninth grade, kind of for the first time. Um, for just like, like for the true Miami heads that listen to this show, which high school? What high school did you go to? They're going to roll their eyes so hard because my high school was just like the known like punishers, just the worst people ever. Um, it's called Ransom Everglades, and it's a really, really fancy private school. You might recognize it from um, Wild Things. Like that's where Wild Things takes place. Is that my oh, heart? Whoa. Okay. Which is a very formative movie for yeah, me. Yeah, I can uh, believe that. To say. Yeah, very formative um, but my dad taught there in the seventies and he really wanted me to go there. So I went like on scholarship and it completely 
like warped my mind and my identity and like pretty much ruined any chance that I could have had of like actually being cool because I was just like while I was you know um listening to the Weezer Blue album I was also like on eBay trying to buy a juicy jacket and like a Lancome lip gloss and you know was like being mean to my parents because I was like embarrassed to have my friends at the house because everyone who went there is like mega mega like one percent of the one percent just like the shittiest me kids who yeah pretty much um yeah if, if the true heads from Miami are listening they're gonna be like oh yeah she didn't have a chance because <laughs> oh, I wanted to go to the like art high school I was like mom dad like mm, whatever and part of it you know my dad went to um public school in Miami and he got really bullied like he got peed on once Jesus I think, by the jocks yeah because he's like a nerdy like Jewish guy who had skipped a grade um and he like didn't want me to get peed on so sure I went to this <laughs> really insane like one percenter pipeline where like all of my classmates you know um I mean like it was if your parents were a doctor or like a lawyer, that was like the low end. That was that was like, oh, you're, you know, middle class. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. That when you say the one percent of the one percent. Yes, definitely. And so, yeah, it was funny because in high school, I made friends and ended up doing, you know, kind of like Miami shit. Like I would go clubbing with my friends on school nights. Like I would. Um, you know, we'd like skip school and go to the beach, like very, very Miami. And even though I was like, kind of straight edgy, I really liked like partying, dancing, which is actually still holds true. Um, so we were just like, yeah, using really bad fake IDs, like, go to parties. And, you know, most of my friends had cars, so they would drive me around. And listen to really shitty music. So I would just like make everyone CDs with my own shitty music um, and like try to get them really desperately to like care about the same stuff as me, which pretty much never worked. Sure. Yeah, it's hard. Um, I remember when I eventually got punk, I like made my best friend at the time a CD where like, me and this normie ass girl would be like singing along to Black Flag while she would drive me around because like we just listened to this CD so many times. So that was cool. Yeah. Uh, How'd that happen? How do you eventually become punk? Um, I was really obsessed with the band Pavement. I would like be in the library on my lunch break, like in the Stephen Malkmus message boards. Um, I read every interview with them and I was also obsessed with Nirvana. Mm -hmm. Like those were kind of, you know, the middle middle school staples that made it past my like weird identity shifts. Like um, I also, I was like weirdly, like I had a hippie phase too, where I listened to Bob Marley and Sublime a lot. Like I'm a big Sublime fan. Um, But then what happened 
Oh, yeah. So I would just read like what Kurt Cobain and Stephen Malkmus liked. And that kind of led me to investigating bands like Wire and the Wipers and kind of all the like classic stuff that you see on those lists. You know, it's like mostly underground punk and hardcore. Yeah, this is I think I like talking to people younger than me has really I just like made me value Nirvana's place in the culture so much more than I ever did. Because like, I think Faza um, from body pressure and um, bondage and a couple other Austin bands who runs the like film, like hatred youth, surge. youth film program. Yeah. I think Faza was in hatred surge. Um, Faza was on the podcast and she was telling me that she got into punk via reading about bands in like a Kurt Cobain biography that she made her mom buy her at the mall. Yeah, 100%. It's such a good, it's such a good path. A path to a punk. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how else I would have heard of like the Vaselines or whatever. Like, he really did kind of open people's minds. And it's funny now, like having an EP out on K. Like, Oh my God, yeah. That's because of him, though. Like, that's 100%. I mean, you know, I also, like, yeah, then when I got a little older in high school, like, I read Our Band Could Be Your Life. Like, I just fully, you know, was able to use the internet and just, like, get really obsessed with punk. Um, But, you know, I kind of think of, like, my more indie rock or whatever, um, like heroes like Elliot Smith and Stephen Malkmus and people like that who yeah through them and through KC like kind of introduced me to this lineage of underground music that wasn't like um at the time the kind of like mainstream indie that I was pretending to like kind of but didn't really but I just wanted to go to shows so it was like okay no bands ever come to Miami so I'm just going to have to like every shitty, you know, like cut copy or like electro band that comes and like plays, you know, the small clubs or whatever. Cause yeah, like girl talk came to my shit like that. Sure. Where like I would look it up in advance on last FM. I would listen to the music, you know, like I just really, I wanted to see live music. Yeah. So, um, weird reason that i no longer can relate to yeah i'm i'm very out of touch with that (laughs) um did you go to churchill's oh my god i like lived in the parking lot yeah what an early parking lot truly i went there for the first time with my mom and my ex-stepdad we went for like jazz night and they were like yeah you know i was probably 14 they're like it's fine like just say you forgot your ID or something like they bet me that I wasn't, you know, that getting carded wouldn't be a problem or whatever. Your mom did. And it wasn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. My mom is cool. She's, she's kind of indie in a way. Sure. Well, she just, yeah, she's, she's open-minded and very, um, she's like, has a very childlike naivete towards the world and just yeah has become kind of a sponge now that like I think yeah she's 53 now and it's cool I'm like 
teaching her about like prison abolition and stuff. And she'll be like, have you heard of this band? Um, Galaxy 500? Like she's just, Whoa, she's getting cool. Yeah. Whereas before, like growing up, I mean, my parents named me after a Bruce Springsteen song. Like growing up, I did not hear any cool music ever. Um, but now she's, yeah, she's kind of like indie rock and, you know, she loves like Hello Kitty and, she just she has always loved like kid stuff. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Um, did you have like a an I like a conception of yourself as like a political entity as a child or like not as a child, but as like a teen and like during your like indie and mall goth and whatever and punk phases? No, fuck no. I was like anti society or whatever and like, you know, maybe went to a few anti-Iraq war protest, but I feel like I germinated at a really apolitical time. And Miami also, not to interrupt, but like Miami feels to me like a really, like a weirdly apolitical place. Like it's just, it exists in this, in this bubble. Oh yeah. No, 100%. And I think my friends who are older than me were kind of like burnt out from the kind of like, eco-liberation earth first or like food not bombsy kind of thing mm-hmm. where like when i started hanging out with punks like at the firefly um like people who i met at critical mass uh i definitely got like introduced to a new world politically but it was very very slight and i think just kind of being raised by like I don't know, pretty classic kind of like hippie-ish white people, like Democrats. Um, I kind of was able to just like lean in and also just like being so angry. I was able to like lean in and like make friends without having any idea about anything political like whatsoever. Um, But just kind of like in a weird way, like growing up with some kind of like at least marginally like anti-oppressive framework for my parents and also like anti-consumerist like I went dumpster diving for the first time with my dad like we lived by the University of Miami and my first concert was with my dad we scalped tickets at the Green Day concert at the University of Miami like stadium Um, When I was in seventh grade, can't believe I forgot to mention that. Um, And then, yeah, I don't know. I, I did not really get, I had no, like, I wouldn't even have considered myself a feminist, even though I very much was and like would argue with my peers about like, you know, basically feminist ideology or like queer shit and, you know, whatever like anti-state stuff but i i had no context for it i was too busy like yeah in the message boards talking about like my favorite silver jews songs i was not (laughs) i didn't give a fuck i really sure it's embarrassing but it's true i don't think it's embarrassing like i think like it's i don't know i who am i to judge what's embarrassing for you but when i (laughs) when i hear when I hear about someone not ha- like, you know, I was like, um, I think weirdly political as a child. Um, uh-huh. 
But when I hear about people that didn't have like a political understanding as like a 14 year old or whatever, like that, that to me, there's nothing embarrassing about that. Um, yeah. Did you, well, I'm thinking like, you know, 16, 17 at a time where it's like, okay, I could have like paid a little bit closer attention. Uh, I just didn't, you know, I would have rather read like spin and rolling stone than like ever open a newspaper. Sure. Um, did you have a conception of yourself as queer as a teen? Kind of. Uh, in my my theory was that everyone was bisexual and that um, it just like everyone has like a different amount of being bisexual, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Which uh, kind of still true in my mind. And so I like well we come back to wild things like I was really like my mind was blown like I was very attracted to women growing up like I really loved like boobs but I never really like had crushes on them so in my mind I was like yeah I'm like bisexual but um you know like I I don't know I just had it yeah I would say that I had, like, a very faint queer identity as a teenager, but um, I don't know. I just, (laughs) I was really, um, I feel like I was kind of repressed and very, like, shy in that, like, I never dated anyone in high school or middle school. Like, I was never, like, kissing or banging or anything and, like, never had my own computer. I only had the family computer. So I would, like, watch. I had my best friend, the one who I made the Black Flag CD for. I had her send me. This is crazy. This interview is just, like, all the, like, top most embarrassing things about me, <laughs> my YouTube, um, which I love. Yeah. But so I had her email me a bunch of YouTube links to movies that had sex scenes in them to, like, watch on the family computer, you know, like, while my parents were at work or whatever. Uh-huh. Um and Bound was very formative oh, for me. Wow. I watched that sex scene like seven million times. Wild things of cruel intentions. Um so I was just like always like really I like knew that I was turned on by women. By Gina Gershon and... with Labrys tattoo. Oh my god. Oh, it's too much. Just kill me. But I never, you know, it wasn't I don't think it was, like, shameful or something that I felt the need to, like, A, talk to anyone about, per se. Um, Like, my friends in high school were like, oh, like, we don't jerk off. Like, that's gross. Um, And then, yeah, I don't know. It didn't didn't feel like something I needed to really, like, act on because, like, I wasn't having sex with men or women, like, at all. Right, sure. I thought maybe I was asexual, actually, because I was like, I don't want to have sex with any of these people. What's wrong with me? And it just turned out that they were, like, kind of douchebags. Turns out you just hate beach bods. Yeah, I do. I really, like, being muscular and, like, toned or whatever, it just doesn't do it for me. That's real. Yeah. I did not. I Oh, my God. But I would, like, get obsessed with even just, like, 
the faintest hint of like being alternative at my school. Like this was during the age of deep Facebook stalking. And at my school, there was like a senior when I was a freshman and he wore um, like black pants instead of khakis. And I could just tell that he was alt. And so this is how like my music taste came to be, by the way. Like when I say online, I mean on the Facebook pages of like people that I stalked looking up the bands that they listed in their favorite bands and then appropriating them as my taste by like looking up their albums on Mediafire. You know, like that's where my music taste comes from. That's fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I spent a lot of time stalking and just, you know, looking up, um, basically mega upload media fire like i don't know all the the rar file heads will know what i'm talking about but oh yeah what's that you send it yeah you send it rapid share whatever just downloading every single album i could get my hands on and sometimes it was the shins sometimes it was uh you know excuse 17 sometimes you know like it was just it was everything it was truly the trawl net of music all music made before the year 2010 so um i was lucky to kind of get out of it as unscathed as i did you know like sure there are definitely some battle wounds along the way yeah, I mean, like, when when I met you, you definitely had cool tastes, and at the same time had the vibe of, like, someone who, if you had an eyebrow ring, I wouldn't know if it was ironic or not. I did have an eyebrow oh, ring. Oh, that's what I'm I thinking of. Was, was it ironic? ironic? I don't know. Right, no. you had an eyebrow not ring. Not really, right. <laughs> it wasn't. Okay, wow, <laughs> that explains it. That explains my yeah. thought, like, my associating you with an eyebrow ring. Um, yeah, it got infected, so I took it out. But yeah, I, think it's I got for that when I was 22. I got that, you know, I didn't get that when I was a teenager. I got that fully like an adult. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got my ear pierced at 31. It's Wow, it took that long? Yeah, it did. I didn't, hmm. I don't know why I, I just was like, I don't care about that. I had a lip ring when I was 18. Right, um, of course. Very like a uh, makeoutclub.com situation. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but then I took that out and then I didn't, yeah. And then I just didn't care about piercing stuff. And then when I was yeah. 31, it was my reverse bar mitzvah. So I was like, I got to get an earring. I'm going to go to the Queen Center Mall, get an earring. Well, now you need to have a bot mitzvah and maybe get like your belly button pierced. I think about it all the time. Yeah, do it. I also, I got that pierced when I was an adult and then it got infected and I had to take it out. But yeah, anytime that you want to have a piercing renaissance, let me know and I'll, I'll, you know, do something. I'll like get my tongue pierced. I don't even care. Like I'll do something embarrassing Yeah, at an appropriate age. I just have to pierce my other ear. I'm not going to pierce my belly button because mine will also get infected because I, there's just like, I'm disgusting. You know, like in whatever ways I've grown out of being an oogle. I'm still gross. Like my body is filthy. I'm just filthy. I shower every day, but I'm, I can't really, I can't wash the punk off. And no, I don't shower every day now that it's cool out when it was hot. I was showering every day. 
Yeah, that's impressive. I started moisturizing during COVID. Oh, I've never. I've been trying, Jolie. Yeah. I've been trying to moisturize. I don't do the body because that's just like too boring. But I've been doing the face like every day for the first time in my life, and it's not making any discernible differences except with my confidence as an adult who can take care of themselves. Well, that's huge. Yeah. Um, There's still a lot more that could be figured out in that department, like learning how to drive or like build a shelf or any other kind of more functional skills. But yeah. Well, your roommate can teach you that stuff. Yeah, true. But I refuse to learn. Fair so. enough. The uh, but there's <laughs> a there's a long road from um, <laughs> from excuse seventeen on media fire to um, finally moisturizing during COVID. So let's um, yeah, let's continue right. our slog through the life of Jolie. Yeah, uh, everything. I, I feel like I covered pretty much the most like essential parts and. Like, what more can be said, really? True. Yeah, I guess that's it. I guess the interview's up. No, but so... (laughs) Bye-bye. So, so we met, you were living in New York, and you had a radio show. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, at this point, it's predictable, but you can trace that back to Pavement. Like, I was obsessed with them. Sure. And they met, like, or they, like, did college radio at... UVA and we're like bros there and so you know the as all I really my dad is a college counselor so I kind of always wanted to go to college because he was always like hyping it for other kids you know and I was like I want to go to college so that I can have a college radio show and that is what I did in New York yeah at NYU yeah, WNYU, my alma mater. And the first I went to um the first meeting I went to, like the recruitment meeting. I remember I was like wearing a descendants shirt and I was talking to Jen Pelly and she was like, You should do a punk show and I was like, Yeah, I wanna do a punk show. Like like I'm gonna do it or whatever. And then um kind of like strong armed my way into getting a job there on like management. Did you do the punk show? What was the, like the long running one? Crucial chaos. Yeah, I did crucial chaos for, I used to, I used to drive to the top of a, like a strip mall parking lot where I could get WNYU better than at my parents' house Mm -hmm. with a boom box. Wow. And then, and tape crucial chaos. That's so beautiful. When I was like, like in the late nineties when I was in high school. Definitely like zero people listened to it except for weird dads on Long Island who were like, can you play the mentors? (laughs) Oh God. I love the legacy of the show that people actually gave a shit about it. Yeah. I used to prank call them too. When this guy, Ryan that lived at um, one of the punk houses in crown Heights was doing it for a while. And he (laughs) used to prank call them all the time. Um, but yeah, I don't know anyone that really listens to terrestrial radio at all. Um, that's not hot 97. Right. Yeah. I mean, or NPR, I guess everyone listens to radio. (laughs) What do I talk? No, I know so many people that listen to radio. Um, and then there was a, there was a ska show right after crucial chaos called tunnel one. Mm -hmm. And DJ much one. And to me, Jeremy rocks. What that made me feel like was. 
because the ska was on later at night, it was more mature. That was like my conception as a 15 year old, you know, it's like, Oh, ska is like for grownups. And I think well, ska is important because I forgot to mention that in Miami, the first shows that I ever went to were when I was in like eighth grade and I went to DIY ska shows at like churches and weird parking lots. And was stuff. it like, and actually was my intro to like underground music, like local ska bands. Yeah, like idiot high schoolers. Whoa. Yeah, I remember all their songs. Like, there's a band, The Schematics, that had a song about Home Depot. There's a band called Three Beef Burritos. There was Scavengers. And, like, yeah, I would go to their shows. And then eventually there was kind of, like, another weird DIY scene that... There were shows at the park that were kind of, I think it must have been kind of the tail ends of folk punk because there were like, you know, kids with acoustic guitars or whatever. And then that morphed into like power violence shows at Churchill's. Yeah. I went to 305 Fest one year. Oh, hell yeah. I oh my God. It... I met you. I think I met you there. Really? Or... In 2009? I bought, 10? I bought Slice Harvester. Yeah, I did. Whoa. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm moving to New York and pizza is my favorite food. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot about it, too. I was freaking. That was like um, I was wasted. Yeah, you weren't. Um, super. I mean, I was like a little loser high schooler, but. No, I was shit faced on that tour. And I was um, I was on tour with Witches and Dead Dog. And yeah, amazing. yeah one of the one or both of those bands played 305 Fest. And then both. both. And then I stuck around and stayed with Christy Rhodes' parents. Fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. Um, wow. So, so we, met, we met over 10 years ago. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, I was so like, cool. I'm going to New York for college and I love pizza. Oh my God. I don't know what I think of as the first time we met. I think I, I have like a very distinct memory of our first, what I think of as like our first real conversation, which happened at some punk show um, outside during one of those like f- summer fests that would happen in New York. Uh-huh. Um, maybe like blazing. Eye was playing in a parking lot or something. And it was, um, and we were talking about, and I don't know what we were talking about, but I was just absolutely charmed by you. You were like being so weird. And I was just like, who is this delightful fucking freak? You know what I mean? Like, I just really was like, you talked really fast. Um, you were like really ex- like earnestly excited in a way that I think there's so much posing. And I think, which I would like characterize as different from being a poser, but like, posing as being like disinvested or like not um like emotionally involved it that is like part of punk sometimes mm-hmm. especially in new york where like punk and sort of like downtown cool guy sunglass culture is like inextricably tied right um, just via history festival artist yeah exactly and like um i remember just being like this person Jolie is cool. This person Jolie is like a cool weirdo who is not afraid of how strange they are. Not um, afraid to be a loser. 
is what I'm hearing. And I agree <laughs> with unabashedly. <laughs> yeah, just... New York sucks. And it was so unfriendly and mean to young 18-year-old me from Miami, which is, like, too far for any bands to go and play, really, except for 305 Fest. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm moving to New York. Like, you know, the first weekend I was there, uh, I remember I went to, like, a negative approach and piss jeans show one night and then another night it was like school jerks and Kulo at 538 and I myself and I was just like took the L train you know to Bushwick which obviously you know I had no idea what I was doing and I was like let's make friends and that just super did not happen yeah people are deeply distrustful of someone that wants to be friends with them in New York yeah, definitely. Especially if, you know, the person is like an 18 year old NYU student. So I really I thought I was going to make a bunch of friends and like Fizz moved there at the time, you know, I chilled with him in Miami. And so like, I kind of had an idea, but everything just felt like, too cool and out of reach. And so the people I ended up being friends with, who I'm still friends with are from WNYU. And they're from uh like the program that I was in at school and it was not ever through like oh yeah like we met at a show like that only happened way later once I already had like I don't know shown face enough or something or met enough people who were like hierarchically appropriate like I met um one of my best friends this day Chris Bowman the drummer of Nomos I met him in his CVS on fourth street you know by it because he went to nyu and he was like oh yeah like do i know you from you know like my classes or whatever and it was like no i know you from like every single weekend of my life which is being spent at these like vastly unfriendly musical concerts uh and i'm just like texting in the corner like alone so it took a long time to kind of like get uh, accustomed to NYC culture and I would say the posturing that goes with it. And I think I kind of just always was like, you know, wanting to be a part of it, like obviously, you know, and like always searching for like a community of how you say like-minded people, but at the same time, I was like, if it requires um, the kinds of, you know, outfits and behavior and general like douchiness to like cut it in the Big Apple punk scene circa 2010, then um, I'm just gonna like keep being a freak on my own time. Sure. That's a classic recipe for like um just like marinating a cool weirdo yeah it's like too freaky for the straight world too freaky for the rules of the weird world yes uh i'm just gonna stay like just get freaky where i'm at and then eventually everyone will catch up hopefully well i have always felt like i'm kind of you know like i was never fully like immersed in my school world like i always had one foot out the door but then as far as like punk world went you know i always was still like having to go to the library and like work for 16 hours in a row like on a paper that i hadn't started 
And I would see, okay, <laughs> this is another one of those, like, NYC, like, you can only make friends outside of shows, but my Gorup would be, like, in boats in the library basement at, like, you know, two in the morning, and I would be there just, like, knocking on the glass, being like, hey, like, what's up? Um, you know, because I knew him from, like, playing shows or whatever, and I'd just, like, offer him, like, you know, a crumb-filled napkin with, like, half a cookie in it, just be like, hey, I know you. <laughs> um but he's i've known him since he was like 14 or something he's a delight that guy yeah legend um so i have two questions um and i don't know which one okay i think i'm thinking this through as we talk because um i'm a little out of it like i said but um i think so another thing that struck me when i met you um, or like not right when I met you, but as we got to know each other was that, um, you seem to be somebody who is, um, like involved in leftist political work in a, like leftist political work is like an organic part of your life in a way that I think a lot of people that I know from just like party world punk scene, just like maybe talk about hating the government or whatever, but aren't like actually doing anything to get rid of cops or um, uh, decriminalize drugs or X, Y, or Z. Oh my um, God. I wish I was doing something to get rid of cops. That'd be so sick. You know what I mean though? Um, yeah, I do. But like, I feel like the work that I'm doing is like 700 tiers below that. Sure. But um, I get, I guess like if you weren't, interested in or like thinking about politics as a teenager like where did you get um your like adult political conscience from and and you know what i mean like how did you come to your the political work that you do do yeah um well i'm lucky again ye old internet like my spot for friends i met a ton of punks on the website Flickr, like for photography and i met people on tumblr like my roommate michael who i've lived with for seven years like we met online uh, and i became friends with a lot of queer punks who weren't necessarily connected with like the largely dude rock related like kind of 538 scene um and so through you know meeting um just a bunch of really funny gay anarchists online, many of whom I'm still friends with. Yeah, I was really lucky just to have older friends who truly um, were patient with my ass and, you know, kind of introduced me to the world of like, basically prison abolition, you know, when I was um, still... I guess I must have been like a sophomore in college or something. And I had also, you know, spent a lot of time then on Tumblr. And I kind of like got re-educated on there in a way where I like took seriously kind of like the ideas of, you know, um, I wouldn't go so far as to say like abolition, but definitely um, anti-racism and kind of like queer liberation, you know, like I read 
my friend shoplifted the bashback queer anthology like from blue stockings for me type of thing (laughs) you know i had these people looking out for me and that definitely shaped my consciousness where it was kind of like once i found out then it was like oh okay so we're gonna go to this black and pink letter writing thing like we're gonna you know like my kind of um I guess like social life kind of shifted in a way because I was still doing like school and punk and whatnot but then I was also um kind of getting into I guess you could say activism but I don't that feels like kind of a strong verb for what I was doing which was like not much (laughs) it's like reading PSAs on my radio show that were like anti-cop sure but like Like, by the time we were in Juicy together, weren't you, wasn't your job? I think by the time I was in Juicy, I was volunteer teaching at Rikers. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I got into doing that um, through a program that one of my friends found called PD Green. And actually, I've worked, like, professionally as a tutor for a long time, so... Because uh, my dad is also basically every job I have is like nepotistic, and I always was like, mm, like I'm gonna be different from my parents. But my dad is like a tutor and a college counselor, and my mom is a social worker, and like I do admissions and like private tutoring, and I'm also a social worker. Like, um, you know, I had a job at a community bail fund for three years most recently. So like yeah. I literally I do like exactly um what they do or did. And um yeah, so I I've been volunteering in New York City jails for a while and kind of from there started working um at a community bail fund. So I was paying bail for people with under $2,000 misdemeanors whose public defenders would like refer me their cases while they were like being arraigned or seen in front of the judge for the first time. And I would go, it was in the Bronx mostly um, with my little like backpack of $2,000 checks and I would pay their bail for them for this um, organization called the Bronx Freedom Fund that, just recently closed earlier this year because we changed the law or we didn't, but we were part of an overall kind of um, legislator shifting maneuver where it's now illegal to charge cash bail for misdemeanors. Mm -hmm. Um, So we like basically, you know, put ourselves out of business and became um, hopefully obsolete. Although the judges are really, you know, there's, like, all this really dumb Cuomo, like, bail panic. Just all this, like, stupid-ass bullshit where they're trying to roll back the, like, alleged reforms, which are, like, pretty much scraps that they threw us. Yeah, um, it's so fucked. Yeah, and, like, the idea of bail in itself is, like, such an easy, quote, reform to jump on, even if you're not an abolitionist, because it's, like... I was literally paying bail for people before they had ever been convicted of a crime. It was just that they were poor. And so instead of, you know, being bailed out and not having to settle on like a shitty plea deal or like, you know, lose your job for being 
in jail even just like a week while your family goes like an exploitative like bail bondsman you know people who have five hundred dollars just get to like bounce and they don't ever have to step foot in jail so it's like the easiest thing to kind of you know loop liberals into or anything and even so the bail reforms are tanking because of yeah it's like cuomo and you know they're like fear-mongering tactics so who knows maybe i'll be technically speaking i am licensed as a new york city bail bonds woman and uh you know, they, the people that we paid bail for, they never had to pay us back anything. But in order for me to, like, physically be at court and be at jail and, you know, talking to people as such, I did have to get, um, like, legally licensed. So that's a fun fact about me. Whoa. And Yeah. How do you get licensed? What's the licensing process like? Oh, my God. Like, literally any idiot can do it. It's so easy. I studied for this exam, and it was just... You know, you have to memorize like a percentage of, um, you know, like if the surety pays this, just really dumb crap, but it is kind of a lengthy process. And I remember before I got my, the, the bureaucracy of the New York City criminal justice system is something that I just like swam in for years and it never, you know, it was from the other side of things where it's like it wasn't affecting like my liberty or my life, you know, like I was so minimally affected by it. But even so, my entire life was spent like waiting for the Department of Corrections, like waiting for someone to let me in a room so that I could wait to talk to my client in another room, in another room, like well, an officer was on their like three hour lunch, like just like insane hurdles and like Sisyphusian bureaucracy it was just like my life, just trying to kind of like wade through it and um, just try to like get people out of jail, which is like, you know, the, the hardest part is done. Like we had the money, you know, like I had a backpack full of checks. It was just to actually like pay the bail. It was just, yeah, it's very a labyrinth of bureaucracy and so yeah yeah, doing that i guess when we played in the band together or shortly thereafter i think it was at the same time because i remember like band practices getting postponed because you were like oh i'm stuck in the bronx or whatever yeah oh my god i was always stuck in the bronx like i worked like on the subway for five hours yeah i worked saturdays and sundays from 11 to 11 and a lot of that time i was just on call but like yeah, my schedule was completely opposite everyone else's where like during the week I would just be tutoring or fucking around or whatever. And then on the weekend, it's like, bye. I'm, you know, on at the boat jail in the Bronx, like two hours away from anyone that, you know, would want to hang out with me or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um. What's your first band that you play in? Um, I don't know. It might have been. Well, what do you mean? Like legit played in or like. Whatever it means to you. I don't know. Like what is your first, you know, like we met playing in bands. You know, we started a band together and. um, 
like enlisted. So I just remember being like, I want to be in a band with this person. Um, like this seems fun. I feel like it was um, because Kyla said no to being in a band, which is really funny. Because did I'm I ask Kyla out with her? Yeah, I think you asked Kyla before. I mean, she's an amazing musician. Like, and at the time, maybe it was between Ivy and JJ Doll or something. But I like I like being second choice to Kyla as like a cool girl guitarist. <laughs> Genuinely, I don't remember that. I think I I, I remember I wanted to get Shannon. I just mm-hmm. wanted to start a band for Shannon to be in. Yeah, definitely. And I was just like asking around people. And Sean Monahan obviously is a dreamboat. Oh my god, hottest person alive. Oh, I know, and it's such a delight to just like play. he's like the best energy. He's of such anyone. a good bassist. He's such a good songwriter. Yeah, he's a fantastic guitarist. He's like a fantastic bassist. He's so good. He's a good drummer. He's played drums in a bunch of cool like weirdo punk bands. Um, great style. Just great perfect person um and you and we were in this band and then i and i i remember like for some reason i remember i think i thought that you hadn't really been in a band before and then i heard a band that you had already been in that had recorded before juicy that was so good the so- i i that was like kind of sounded like um it was just like fast guitar and drums maybe you and one other person and you yeah singing. that was me and chris bowman that band was called spotting yeah spotting yeah hell yeah that was a recording only band and it's i really did good sing. wow this is like some nardwar shit digging out of the trenches of my past it's just because yeah. like i'm your friend and a fan of yours like <laughs> I, it's not i'm not like i'm not a good journalist or interviewer i just like you well, you know, one behooves the other. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely did that band and also a band before that um, called Boys Online that right. I started um, the summer after I graduated college. I remember we were just like practicing at WNYU, like on the kit for live bands. Um, and I wrote some songs not really knowing how to do that so what i did was i wrote like the lyrics and melody for like four songs but i didn't like know how to play them or anything like at all (laughs) yeah so my friends did like drums bass and guitar very scrappily and so like our practice would just be like me singing the song and then being like oh um that chord sounds good or whatever um and we yeah we like made a tape from that that never saw physical tape form yeah i I remember one song from that tape um one i can't i'm like having a blank because i'm on the phone um right now but there's like there's like a song from that tape that i can that i like listen to multiple times um on Bandcamp or something because it was really good but i don't remember what it was kind of remember um so i'll i'll be curious to hear off the record which one yeah Um, i'll I'll look it up when we're not on the phone um and that was the band that david saw at silent barn actually right and where he was like oh i forgot that's why i wanted to be in a band with you is because i saw you know you playing these songs that you wrote and you know vibing with the audience and that's when i was like yeah that was an illusion the audience was like literally only my friends but yeah it brings us full circle kind of yeah um it does 
were you and so so after Juicy, you're in Juicy Two, which is the continuation of Juicy. Yeah, with Robin and Carrie mm-hmm. instead of you and Sean Long. Um, and then after Juicy Two, what happens? Is that when like there's just like whatever happens in the ribbon uh-huh. stage? When my heart broke, yeah, I was just like, I'm going to move to SF. Like, I have no reason to be in New York. But then I think I got a new, really easy tutoring job where I was like, fuck, I can't leave. Um, But so in between, I guess, GC2 and Ribbon Stage, I definitely tried to be in some bands or at least, like, wanted to. Um think maybe I spent a lot of that time writing and I don't know like don't remember um I guess I was like at um prisons and jails you know on the weekends and yeah doing the tutoring thing um was I in a band it sounds like if you were it wasn't an important one yeah, but then at the same time, you know, there have been all these things cropping up that were really important, like going to ska shows that I, you know, grossly neglected. So, sure. Um, um, yeah, I'm missing a band. But yeah, I really wanted to play in a band and no one ever really um, hit me up because I'm not really good at playing guitar. <laughs> so, um, I kind of had to, me and David started Ribbon Stage because he is already good at guitar and he just wanted to play um, stand-up drums, like shop assistants. And he and I had been um, like sending each other a bunch of playlists and stuff because we like, you know, that one really like kind of specific genre of music that's like early my bloody valentine and like vaselines and black tambourine all the stuff that our tape sounds like we were yeah i got him into dolly mixture um oh it's so good it's so what what you do uh, what you guys do as a band on that record is it's a perfect thing um (laughs) like it really is i feel like there's a lot of um it's like I don't know. It's like cute. It's not cutesy. You know, there's like a way that that genre can, can flop into just like, um, precious. Yeah. No, it can be sincere without being just like cheesy as hell. Yeah. It's not core. It's like, it's still cool. It sounds fucking great. Like the recording, I think I said when I wrote the review, um, but the recording is fantastic. Like it sounds so good. It sounds exactly like it's supposed to sound. The songs are written perfect. It's on four track in like a windowless practice space in Bushwick. So of course, that, um, and then I mixed it with Captain Trip in Olympia, like to tape. Oh, whoa, okay. So, yeah, that's why it kind of um, sounds a little less scrappy than maybe it seems like it would, especially since like we had written those songs very quickly before <laughs> recording them. Yeah. Yeah, what's the what's the songwriting process like in Ribbon Stage? Um, well, how it worked for the EP is like I wrote the songs on guitar. Um, they're all just really easy as fuck, like a few chords, um, just like very simple melodies. And then David would play stand up drums, and he and I would um, 
sort of combine forces to write the bass lines where like he's just such a talented musician and i actually i really stand um his other bands but especially tercer mundo like mm-hmm. a fan before i ever met him and i just remember playing it on crucial chaos and being like best seven inch of 2014 like this is amazing you know like really um he's such a good musician and we collaborate really well together um so you know he like has the technical skills to play bass and i'm just like obsessed with melody so i would just be singing him like what i heard in my head when i wrote the guitar and then he would translate that to bass and it was just a really cool process of like trying to i don't know like write you know invent a new language or something it was i'm sure extremely frustrating for him to have to sit with me we would just we would practice for so long um just the two of us like completely in the zone just like okay uh you know no breaks like no snap you know like no looking at your phone because it's cool um and then i was simultaneously jamming kind of fake like playing um like sludge music with my friend who sings on the tape the mysterious annie um and really we were just like fucking around like during the daytime and getting better at our instruments she was playing drums and i was like okay i really need to just like learn how to play guitar this time um but so i kind of wrote the ribbon stage songs in a way like while she was playing drums because it's just like yeah really simple melodies and um we needed a singer and a bass player for you know, what eventually became Ribbon Stage. And so I kind of combined the two things that I was doing and introduced uh, David and Annie. And then through that, um, you know, we embarked on like the lyric writing process and all the art and stuff and recorded it last December. Mm -hmm. And And the lyric writing was collaborative? Yeah, it was mostly um, me and Annie kind of, like, really getting in each other's heads and, like, going back and forth. I feel like she she did most of it, but, um, you know, kind of, like, redoing melodies that were, like, in my head and trying to explain them to her while also, like, yeah, just incorporating lyrics from both people and you know, kind of similar, like, themes and motifs to kind of make it um, as cohesive as possible. So it was really, like, a pain in the ass. But I like how it came out. I love her voice. You know, I kind of thought that I was maybe going to be singing, but I really, like, super can't sing and play guitar. And then, you know, when we were recording, like, I was singing some of them, but it just sounded way better when she did it. So, um I'm happy to be, you know, kind of axe slaying only in this endeavor. Um, Cause I just, yeah, it was, I never, I didn't know what the vocals were going to sound like. Like we kept being like, okay, uh, send us your dress, you know, cause everything else was done. And then, you know, at the hour 12 or whatever, she definitely like blew my mind. And those songs on the, on the seven inch, 
yeah, it came about in just a really funky and um, last minute kind of way. So it's cool that they are reaching people's ears kind of all over the world when it was like a very, um, I don't know, it was not, it was not a, uh, a professional project, you know? No, wait, scratch that. Um, you know, like it was just like shittily done. Everything was, <laughs> how do I say that nicely? How do I? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, I get I get what you're trying to say though. It was yeah. it's just like it's punk. I mean, that's the thing about what you were talking about sonically, the like shop assistant kind of um, noise pop, Dolly mixture, noise pop. It's it's being done by punks in like a very broad definition of punk, but like it's just like true freaks and outcasts making this making this like sort of beautiful music in a way that in like whatever way is accessible. And so I think the fact that you guys that like, it is this sort of weird process. It's recorded on a four track in a tiny room, like all of this stuff, I think just contributes to the, why the record is so successful to me. Cause it's like, it's, it, it means it, you know, well, it yeah. doesn't seem like a put on. It couldn't, couldn't if we tried, honestly, like I wish that I, you know, as I may have mentioned, I wish I was like better at guitar, you know, but these are really the only songs that I know how to write. And it's just so cool, like collaborating with other people and having all these kind of amateur funky layers just get put together to make something that does have, you know, a cohesive mood or feeling in addition to like all the art that comes with it, like it makes this kind of sad, cute, punk little world. And so I think the people who are responding to it and can relate to it kind of like get it on a level that like transcends, you know, being good at instrument or like, um, you know, being real like indie rock or whatever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That feels like a good place to end the interview to me. Yeah, I mean. Does that feel good to you? Do you want anything more you want to say? Anything? Um, let me think. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm in another. I'm in that other band. If you oh, know. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot to say that I was doing that simultaneously. But I do want to boost the tape that's coming out because I do like it. And yeah, I like it too. What's the? I just listened to it what two days ago um, for the first time. You sent it to me. What's the? Um, what's the band called? It's called Tens Unit. What's the? Where's the tape? How do you get the tape? How do you hear it? How do my my thirteen listeners hear it? Um, Bandcamp. I think. Yeah. We should be putting it on there, kind of the classic location. And um, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, yeah, it's just punk, kind of straightforward, you know, gals playing, uh, I don't what's the name of punk that's kind of like wipersy, like a little post-punk, I don't know. All genres are so dumb. I just learned what post-hardcore was, and I was like, I'm going to, what is it? Is that like Sunny Day Real Estate? No, that I think is, is more emo. Post hardcore is post hardcore like, is quicksand. 
Yeah, kind of. I'm thinking more of like the contemporary, like touche amori or whatever. Or oh, I've like, never even heard like, of that. It's like emotive. It's so shitty. It's so bad. I hate <laughs> genres. Anyway, um, yeah, we could scrap all that. The new band, yeah, it's called Tens Unit, which is um, it's like a sporting medicine slash like dominatrix tool where like you put these little like squishy things on you and you can like electric massage your injuries or balls or whatever um (laughs) and the band is me and three other ladies uh one of them maybe you know jenna beasley she played in that band bug and uh mannequin Mm -hmm. they had on non-normal that i really like but i know the band yeah, it was cool being like, I'm a fan, you know? When you get to a certain age, I feel like uh, somehow you ascend your weird middle school, like, message board fandom and become friends with people whose stuff ultimately, like, you really actually like. Um, I think this is, like, I, this is something that Paula and I talked about a little bit too but i think that like it's not it doesn't just happen with age right like i think you have worked at making cool stuff for really though i feel like i've mostly just been chilling like i've been (laughs) and like going to other people so like i don't really you know like i don't think people were like oh my god i read your um pool harvester zine like reviewing the new york city public pools in issue whatever of the media and i respect you i think it was more just like i kept showing up um well yeah but you just were saying david saw you play in boys online that's true that was a a freak coincidence (laughs) yeah i mean you downplayed all you want but i think the fact is if you're like around in the world doing stuff people are gonna see the stuff that you're doing you know what I mean? And it's like... Well, it's funny. Paula interviewed me for her um, zine when she was, like, in high school or, like, really early in um, college. Like strawberry one? Mm-hmm. Strawberry scene. Yeah, she interviewed me about Crucial Chaos. And that was before we even, like, mutually stand each other as hard as we do now. Like, I'm obsessed with her. I listen to all two hours of her angelic voice on your podcast and that's a Broward County queen right there um I will say BCQ on the subject of fandom but um yeah it's cool like I yeah I just I respect so much of what my friends are doing and I love always you know the stories of like how they got there like I love that Paula was like in straight edge hardcore in South Florida, you know, like all the shit that she's seeing. I love like your dorky past. I love, you know, young anarcho Beck. Like I love it all. It's I have a folder on my phone actually that's like all pictures of my friends when they're like little kids and teens and stuff. It's called Baby. And I just like have the best archive that I've been building for years and years where it's just like the best stuff you can imagine from like 2005 and it's like shit that I'll screenshot online or something or like someone will send me a picture of like my other friend and be like I thought you'd want to have this but um 
Yeah, I love that shit. That's just, that's the best. Oh, that's so sweet. It gives um, me, you know, peace. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, young. Oh my God, little Paula in Brazil. So cute. Or her with like a Bane shirt and braces and like a hoodie. It's just chef's kiss. Yeah. It's too much. Uh, there's nothing else. The world is a horrible cesspool and it's really scary going outside. So we have to love our friends, right? We have to. Oh, yeah. So this band is with Jenna. She rocks. And mm-hmm. these two other women who also rock, uh, Madeline, who plays drums, she, her old band, Yucky Duster, played at that Boys Online show, coincidentally enough. Um, and so, yeah, we wrote these songs a while ago and are finally putting them to tape but it's like four um punk short punk catchy good yelling songs great i love it yeah maybe i'll maybe i'll end this episode with the one that you're too embarrassed to put on the tape because no one's gonna listen all the way through to the end yeah well no it is on the tape i just want to put it on the band camp because it's embarrassing and it's about um flying to LA when I was in high school to go see um, Mika Migo's last shows at the smell. I can see why you'd be embarrassed by that, but I also think that it's delightful. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's a little, it's hard to say where, you know, the scale tips, if it's on the delightful side or the embarrassing one, I'll let listeners know. Actually, I went over to my friend's house the other day and I texted her because I was like, Look, I want to play you guys this tape. I'm singing. I can't tell if I'm embarrassed because it's the sound of my voice or because it sucks. And I just need you guys to <laughs> because, you know, because like it was my friend Sophie who sings in Firewalker and my friend Tay who's a poet and her boyfriend Adam sings in Gag. And I was like, you guys know, you know, you get it. Um, so. Yeah, hearing the sound of your own voice always blows. I'm not going to listen to this interview when it's done. And, you know, Baruch Hashem. December 30th.
that is it. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Tens Unit. This song was my favorite one when Jolie sent me the um, the tape. And then she was like, oh, I'm embarrassed by that one. I'm not going to put it on. Um, I think it's fucking great. It reminds me of uh, uh, Spider in the Web's song, A Boy Named Jay. The uh, like storytelling songwriting style. And it's uh, It's great. I love that song. And I love this song. And uh, I appreciate Jolie for letting me put it on here. And um, thank you to Jolie for being the guest. It's fucking what a fantastic conversation. Uh, and what a great person. Check out the Ribbon Stage, my favorite shrine, 7-inch. If you haven't already listened to it on Bandcamp, order a uh, physical copy. And uh, what else? I don't know. It doesn't matter. There's no bed music. I'm usually singing and then it's uh, blah, blah, blah. No one's really listening at this point anyway. It's been so long. So um, that is it. If you are still listening... Give me a review. Five stars. Go in the app that you listen and just put a five-star review and uh, and just please do that and say, Colin's breath smells like tuna. Uh, fuck ice, free Palestine, no cops, no creeps, no borders, peace in the pizzeria. I'm out.